Balling Program is a proud member of the Palava family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at Palava.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-I dot com. Shirley, Shirley, you have to teach me. Please, help me beat those evil power crowds. Don't you get it, Jeff? They're not evil people that are good at foosball. They are good at foosball because they're evil. It's an evil game that brings out the worst in us. Like, like out-of-town weddings with receptions in the same place as everybody's rooms. Great. After three years of religious advice and carb-laden pastries, you finally have one thing I actually need, and... I'm sorry. Um, that was rude. It shouldn't be so important to me. I'll, uh, I'll see you Monday. Jeff, tomorrow, dawn, be in the student lounge. Shirley, you are the best. Dear Lord, please forgive me. Please have mercy on him. The stakes have never been higher. Shut up, Leonard. I found your YouTube page. What's the point in reviewing frozen pizza? You're talking about it. Well, that is true. I'm tired of being thankful for scraps. Still, they want us to love them anyway. One day, somebody's gonna have to make a stand. One day, somebody's gonna have to say enough. You get your ass to work and save my country from these cock-sucking Republicans. He's riding his horse through town to send those warning shots bells that uh, we were going to be secure and we were going to be free. Too little, too late, too obvious. Madam, you are a clear and present danger to the safety and security of this nation. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe, in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion, no contest, no Reveal to us God's will that we may blindly obey. Free us from thought and responsibility. We shall read things off you. Then do them. Your words guide us. We're dumb. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Try and work together. You serious? I just, I just told you that a moment ago. Hey everybody, this is episode 171. I am here by myself because I couldn't get Frank on the show because he's in another state and scheduling just didn't work out for me to be able to realistically ask anybody to help assist because I could only record really, really late at night. So um, I want to start off with something funny that isn't a bad idea. Hey you, it's me, (laughs) Sarah Silverman. You know, lately I've noticed a lot of really sad, really long commercials on TV with like grossy, sick, emaciated people from all over the world. And it turns out they look that way because they don't have food. And I know what you're thinking. If you don't like it, Silverman, TiVo passed it. I did. You still see them. Especially because like I have a 48 inch plasma high def TV. So every devastating image is in like brilliant crisp vivid like it like they're in my apartment you know 
So how do I get these people out of my apartment, basically? And I think I figured it out. Like, all I have to do is end world hunger. And then I'm like, okay, how are you going to end world hunger? And then it hit me. Sell the Vatican, feed the world. It. We need a hero, and who is more primed to be our hero than the Pope? He's literally a caped crusader. What is the Vatican worth, like $500 billion? This is great. Sell the Vatican, take a big chunk of that money, build a gorgeous condominium for you and all of your friends to live in, all the amenities, swimming pool, tennis court, water slide. And with the money left over, feed the whole fucking world. You preach to live humbly, and I totally agree. So now maybe it's time for you to move out of your house that is a city. On an ego level alone, you will be the biggest hero in the history of ever. And by the way, any involvement in the Holocaust, bygones. I know some of you out there are like, well, why don't those bums get a job like the rest of us? Well, did you know that the average Arby's employee in Ethiopia only gets paid nothing an hour because they don't, they don't have one. They don't have one. The bottom line is this. If you sell the Vatican and you take that money and you use it to feed every single human being on the planet, you will get crazy pussy all the pussy and i don't mean literally that might not be your cup of tea i don't know what your version of all the pussy is but you'll get all the pussy amen so that was sarah silverman with um really what isn't a bad idea Let's look at some of the comments underneath this. This has been viewed over a million times since it went up. And let's see. Trying to find, um, well, we have, holy shit, you're a crazy person. Um, Then people seem to argue with themselves. But the top comments are... I have to laugh at all the religious lovers getting upset over this. The funny thing is, she's got a point. The church has enough money to fix world hunger, at the very least temporarily alleviate it. But does it it choose to help? No, it feathers its own nest. It preaches help the poor, but it doesn't lead by example. And all you Christians going on about Jews, uh, hypocrites much? Can't spell hypocrites. Typical hypocritical ass wipes. Christians, the joke of the religious world. I don't know about that. Maybe the hypocrites of the religious world. But anyway, the next one says uh, she makes a good point. If you put money in the Catholic collection plates, look in the mirror. It's your fault that this devastatingly harmful religious nonsense continues. Donate it to Doctors Without Borders instead and do some real good in the real world. Well, I can't argue with that. Doctors Without Borders does some really amazingly good work. So uh, let's see what we have here for stories this week. Uh, one that was posted on um, the show's Facebook page is Kentucky Church bans interracial marriage because this is uh, 1918, apparently. Uh, a small Kentucky church. Now, to 
I don't know if this is being fair, but they have like 40 members in the church. So just to get that out there. A small Kentucky church has chosen to ban marriage and even some worship services for interracial couples. The Gulnar Free Will Baptist Church, located in Pike County, made the vote in response to a longtime member who was engaged to a man whose birthplace birthplace, sorry, is in <gasps> Zimbabwe. How dare she? Other pastoral leaders in the area were quick to denounce the church's vote. That's good. That's a very smart, easy position to take. It's not the spirit of the community in any way, shape, or form. Randy Johnson, president of the Pike County Ministerial Association, told the Lexington Herald-Ledger. Leader, sorry. I don't know why I can't read. The small congregation, which usually hosts about 40 members each Sunday, held the vote after longtime member Stella Harville brought in her fiancé, Tika Chikuni, sorry if I butchered that, to church with her in June. The couple performed a song together at the church in which Chikuni sang I Surrender All while Harville played the piano. Chikuni, 29, works at Georgetown College, is black, and Harville, who was baptized at the church but is not an active member, is, oh, God forbid, white. Dean Harville, Stella's father, said he was told by the church's former pastor, Melvin Thompson, that his daughter and her fiancé were not allowed to sing at the church again. However, Thompson recently stepped down, and the church's new pastor, Stacy Stepp, said the couple was once again welcome to sing. Stepp's decision, to, Stepp's decision prompted Thompson to put forth a recommendation saying that while all members are welcome at the church, it does not condone interracial marriage. <laughs> For fuck's sake. And that any interracial couples would not be received as members or allowed to participate in worship services. The only exception, funerals. So the only good interracial couple is a dead interracial couple, according to this church, right? (sighs) The Harville family has formally requested the congregation to reconsider its interracial ban, and Thompson has also said he would like to resolve the issue the area CBS affiliate WYMT has reported. A copy of the recommendation obtained by the station reads in part that the Gulnar Free Will Baptist Church does not condone interracial marriage. Parties of such marriages will not be received as members, nor will they worship. Wow. Nor will they be used in worship services and other church functions, with the exception being funerals. All are welcome to our public worship services. These recommendations are not intended to judge the salvation of anyone, but are intended to promote greater unity among the church body and the community we serve. (sighs) Members of the church held a vote on Thompson's proposed language, with nine voting in favor and six voting against. The other members in attendance chose not to vote. Well, silence gives consent, people. So... Gawker notes that Pike County is 98% white and home to the infamous Hatfield-McCoy feud. Hmm. The Harville family doesn't see Gulnar's new policy promoting anything like unity or civil peace. They are the people who are supposed to comfort me in times like these, Stella Harville said. And Stella's father was much more forceful in his denunciation of the interracial ban. It sure ain't Christian, Dean Harville said. It ain't nothing but the old devil working. I like that. So it's nice to see that bigotry, racism, and just general lack of education and consideration are 
dead in the South. <laughs> That's terrible. In some areas of the South. What the hell? All right, let me see. When is this article from? Because I have a whole bunch of shit here from Michelle Bachman. This was from October 28th. So this is a month ago. This is a good start, I think, for a, for a short segment on Bachman. Uh, Tea Party Group urges Bachman to quit the race. Michelle Batshit Bachman <laughs> certainly has had f- a fun time telling Iowans to celebrate sociopathic serial killer John Wayne Gacy among making other mind-blowing, phenomenally moronic gaffes while she positioned herself as the craziest of the crazies running for higher office. This is from uh, Addicting Info. Whether she was signing weird and bizarre marriage pledges, remember that? Hating on porn, how can you hate porn? Fighting reason and getting, just for Reverend Scott, how can you hate porn? There you go, you can use that. And getting every single piece of elementary American history incorrect, she almost always had the backing of the tinfoil cap wearing crowd until now. A Tea Party group recently issued a shocking and stern warning for longtime Tea Party favorite Michelle Bachman, quit the presidential race, according to CNN. It's time for Michelle Bachman to go, reads the first line of a statement from American Majority President Ned Ryun. R-Y-U-N. That's his, uh, how do you get to be president of the American Majority? I didn't even vote for him. <laughs> his group operates in seven states, trains thousands of Tea Party supporters, and is liked by over 371,000 people on Facebook. I guarantee you 100,000 of those people are people wanting to see what the fuck they're up to. Bachman, the leader of the so-called Tea Party Caucus in the House and the most vocal about her affiliation with Tea Party other than than any other presidential candidate, has consistently presented herself as a champion of the movement and its values, his statement continued. Bachman has ridden her Tea Party credentials from obscurity to a national platform like no other. Not wanting to come to the same conclusion that every rational American reached months ago (laughs) and what her very own band of deranged supporters have even come to, Bachman's campaign manager seemed to tread the fine line of pretending his unstable boss has a chance while not totally alienating the fragments of the Tea Party support she still has going for her. The strength of the Tea Party is all individuals' opinions that are valued, but the no single leader speak. but that, they wrote that incorrectly, no single leader speaks for it. Mr. Ryun, who supports Texas Governor Rick Perry, is entitled to his own opinion. Yeah, because that went really well for Perry. And that's exactly what he, what he is expressing. Michelle Bachman enjoys strong support from Americans across party lines. That's not true. And that certainly includes the Tea Party, the Republican Party. Just it's the crazy wing of the Republican Party. Let's not mince words. She will continue to be a strong advocate for the values and principles reflected by the Tea Party Republican Party as works towards a victory in the first in the nation Iowa caucus as she seeks to win the Republican nomination. That ain't going to happen. Interestingly enough, Mr. Ryan didn't say if whether he clearly supports Rick Perry, according to CNN. I like this plan that he came out with earlier this week, which probably is in shambles now. And I said as much in a blog post, because that matters. But I have not, and neither has American Majority endorsed anybody. American Majority serves as the first Tea Party group to throw one of its own candidates (laughs) under the out-of-control bald tire bus. (laughs) I like this writing. 
despite the fact that Ron Paul is the godfather and not the pizza kind of Tea Party philosophy and ideological thought, it's rather unusual for a prominent Tea Party group to cast aside a presidential candidate that so vigorously supports its ridiculously radical agenda. But it seems the group concluded what every other American paying attention to the race has concluded in that Bachman, much like her crazy sister from another mother in Alaska, is just another vacuous, attention-seeking fembot (laughs) of the party of Karl Rove. I think it's pretty obvious that Michelle Bachman is about Michelle Bachman, American Majority Executive Director Matt Robbins said. Let's face it. She's a backbencher and has been a backbencher congressperson for years, Robbins added. This is not a serious presidential campaign. Even though the movement doesn't quite understand its own repudiation of taxes and fiscal responsibility, the Tea Party aims to focus purely on economic matters and, if possible, tries to avoid social issues like abortion and gay marriage. Although Bachman tosses around over, overly simplistic Tea Party talking points on economic matters and pretends to know what she's talking about on fiscal responsibility, see her spending habits and history of big government handouts. She is often in the news regarding her blind opposition to legally guaranteed abortion rights and religiously inspired hateful rejection of gay marriage. I have some audio in a little bit that will support that statement. In Bachman's case, it's clear that the campaign has become less about reform and more about her personal effort to stay relevant and sell books. A harsh commentary, but true, Rian wrote. While other campaigns are diving into the substance, the supposed Tea Party candidate Bachman is sticking to thin talking points and hanging on for dear life. Much like Perry and Santorum, Bachman fails to recognize that she isn't running for president of the Billy's Christian coalition and therefore needs to appeal to the entire country as opposed to certain segments. It seems like Jenny Beth Martin, co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots, the nation's largest Tea Party group, agrees. When you're running for president, you're appealing to more than just Tea Party people and you have to answer questions on other issues as well. So I'm not surprised when any of the candidates are talking about the other issues because those are things that come up in presidential campaigns, said Martin. The Tea Party is in no way totally declaring Bachman's candidacy dead. I will, right here, right now. Dead. Stick a fork in her. Her and Herman Cain. Get him out of there. But she does appear to be losing her superficial appeal as the race begins to become more serious. Well, as serious as, serious as the inane clown posse He wrote inane, not insane. Inane clown posse seeking the Republican presidential nomination can be. So, good. Now, in other Michelle Bachman craziness, let's play this. People here are extremely upset with the President of the United States. I can tell you there's not a lot of love lost on the President. Not personal, not vindictive. They just see that he's absolutely ham-handed in the way he's handling the economy and foreign affairs. They're done with this President. Rush Limbaugh's right. Chris Christie's right. The President needs to get back to work. But I think the people have already made up their mind, Greta. They're going to have a different President in 2012. We've got to get it right, and we have to get it right with a nominee who's right on everything, on social issues, on the Tea Party issues, on national security, and I'm the only one currently involved in national security issues of all the candidates, and on fiscal policy. That's why I bring the entire party together. I can unify our party and defeat Barack Obama in the upcoming election and in the debates. 
All right. Um, it's been reported tonight that uh, you have said that if elected president of the United States, that you would consider Senator Rick Santorum for one of two positions, vice president <laughs> never or name. attorney general. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, I, I, I will. I think that Rick Santorum is a wonderful man uh, personally, but also I think that he's very gifted when it comes to the area of legal issues. And I think I could see him off. as an attorney general. I think he'd do a great job. I haven't talked to Rick about that, but I think he'd be wonderful or another cabinet position. And I think that he'd also be on my short list of people that I would consider for my vice president. Ooh. All right. Anyone off the sort of as long as you brought up the issues, as long as the Des Moines Register is talking about. So I think it's probably fair game for discussion. Anyone not and anyone who's not running for president who you think would be an ideal vice president for you? Here we go. We've got a lot of wonderful candidates who would fit that bill. It easily comes to mind, I think, would be um, Senator Jim DeMint of South Carolina. Marco okay. Rubio of Florida certainly would be in that category. There's a lot of great people out there. For her, those and, are actually um, reasonable choices. Uh, Donald Trump is someone that and I think a lot of people is. would be intrigued with, too. I think people would probably be very intrigued, not to mention that he'd probably love it himself. All right. Now wow. Um Vice President Donald Trump, thanks for playing. Thanks for playing. Let's see. Let me get the next article up here, which um, and we have two more from Bachman because she was just a beautiful source of news this week. Um, I'm just going to play this video. It pretty much speaks for itself, but really, really listen to what she says and and pay attention to how she's just talking in circles where she supports gay marriage but doesn't support it, says that civil rights are there, but then says that there's laws that state that men and women can get married, but not men and men or women and women. Just listen to her talk herself in circles. And then for the last question, she doesn't even answer it. I'm just going to mute myself so you don't hear me screaming at her. So how would you protect the LGBT community is basically... The I like your hat. <laughs> uh, my name is Jane Schmidt. I'm in charge of the GSA over at the high school. What is that? It's the Gay Straight Alliance. And one of my main concerns is the lack of government support for the LGBT community. So my question for you is, what would you do to help protect GSAs in high school and support the LGBT community? Well, number one, uh, all of us as Americans have the same rights. We have the same civil rights. And so that's really what government's role is, is to protect our civil rights. There shouldn't be any special rights or special set of criteria based upon people's um, preferences. We, we all have the same civil rights. Then why can't same-sex couples get married? Well, they, they can get married, they can, but the, they abide by the same law as everyone else. They can marry a man if they're a woman, or they can marry a woman if they're a man. Why can't a man marry a woman? Because that's not the law of the land. So then, so then heterosexual couples have a privilege. No, they have, they have the same opportunity under the law. There is no right to same-sex marriage. No, what I said is that every there are no special rights for people based upon your sex practices. There's no special rights based upon what you do with your sex life. You 
an American citizen first and foremost, and that's it. It's a good answer. But wouldn't uh, heterosexual couples, they're given a privilege then that um, gay couples aren't? Like, given that privilege to get married, but heterosexual couples are given a privilege to get married? Well, and, and remember, every American citizen has the right to avail themselves of marriage, but they have to follow what the laws are. And the laws are you marry a person of the opposite sex. That's the law. Yes, sir. How would you protect um, kids that might be getting ostracized with different faiths? Well, today there are schools that allow uh, children who have a background in the Muslim faith to be able to pray in school. It's, it's the Christian kids who aren't being allowed to today. Okay, but I was just wondering, if you're going to push Christian prayer in all public schools, even schools that are predominantly in a Muslim area, how are you going to make sure that kids aren't getting bullied, aren't getting harassed for their faith? Well, first of all, I would take issue with your premise because I didn't say as president that that's what I was going to do because what I will do is de um, eliminate the Federal Department of Education. We won't have the Federal Department of Education because what I want to do is allow Iowans to keep all that money here. Trust me, you don't want to waste that money in Washington. The average federal bureaucrat makes over $123,000 a year. That doesn't bring value back to Iowa. I want to keep that money here in the local schools. And so what I believe is that the federal government should have nothing to say about the local school classroom. Nothing. The president shouldn't. The government shouldn't. When I, was, when I was growing up here in Iowa, there was no federal department of education. We didn't even have a federal department of education until the late 1970s. It was a political payoff to the teachers union by President Jimmy Carter. And we haven't gained value from that, from that department. What I think is that your parents, the local school board, the local uh, school district can make up their mind. If you want to allow prayer in school, you should. If, you, if the community decides you don't, you don't. But I will tell you, when we had prayer in schools, um, we didn't have the problems that we have in the school systems today. And it was the local parents and the local schools they made that decision. It was no president telling them. And it goes back to what I said before. When I was here in Iowa growing up, we could sing Christmas carols in school. And no one shouted, uh, and today it's government censorship. Government only cens censors religious speech in schools. Why is that? Why do we have that censorship? That's why we have a First Amendment right to freedom of speech and expression. The government has no business telling children or parents what they can say or not say. And if a child wants to pray in a school, let them. Let them. But I won't say that as president, because that's not my role. That's up to the local school. One more question. Yes. No, no more questions. Do you believe that? Oh, God. So no prayer in school is censorship. I see it more as creating a level playing field with everyone because if if Muslims have to go and pray at the times of day they have to pray and Christians take time out do what they do Jewish people do what they do isn't that really just highlighting the division between people and creating more problems than good I mean if everybody just concentrates on fucking learning 
instead of everything else, maybe people would be better off when they get out of school. I, just a theory. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Let's do the last one from this bing bong. I'm not even going to read any of it. I'm just going to play this. This is this this is the best one. I saved it for last. But I would also say this. I think if I understood the logic of your question, I think what you're advocating for is censorship on the part of government so that government would prohibit intelligent design from even the possibility of being taught in questioning the issue of evolution. And I think if you look at scientists, there is not a unanimity of agreement on the origins of life. And I think that that's where sci that it's really up to students, it's up to teachers, it's up to parents to decide what it is that's going to be taught. For me, I don't fear the issue of evolution. I don't fear the issue of intelligent design. I want all facts on the table for our own biological children. We just put science on the table, and that was up to them to make a decision. Because I think science speaks for itself. Plus, the other thing about science is it's not static. It's dynamic. New information comes forth all the time. Why would we forestall any particular theory? Because I don't think even evolutionists, by and large, say that evolution is a proven fact. They say that this is a theory, as well as intelligent design. So I, I think intellectually the best thing to do is to allow all scientific facts on the table and let students decide. But that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, opinions can be wrong. I, I don't know what to tell you. This woman is fantastic. I honestly wish that she would get the nomination just to keep this stupid shit going. But she won't because she is, like I said before, and I like the word, uh, I think it was used on community. She's a bing bong, which I consider, I don't know what it really means, but I consider it a, a euphemism for dummy. And she just really is fundamentalist and has no idea what's going on. So anyway, uh, let's take a break and uh, we'll be right back. Everything is great, everything is grand I got the whole wide world in the palm of my hand Everything is perfect, it's falling into place I can't seem to wipe this smile off my face Life's a happy song, and there's someone by my side to sing along When you're alone, life can be a little rough It makes you feel like you're three foot tall when it's just you, well, times can be tough. When there's no one there to catch your fall. Everything is great, everything is grand. I got the whole wide world in the palm of my hand. Everything is perfect, it's falling into place. I can't seem to wipe this smile off my face. Life smells like a rose. Someone to paint and someone to pose. Life's a piece of cake with someone to pedal, someone to break. Life is full of glee with someone to saw, someone to see. Life's a happy song when there's someone by my side to sing along. I've got everything that I need right in 
Hey fans, it's Ken Forey. Just want to tell you about Mail Order Zombie. Great company. They review zombie films, any zombie film, every zombie film. And it's uh, something you should tune into. So if you get a chance, go to the website, look these guys up, Mail Order Zombie, and find out what the hot zombie films are today. What's going on? These guys are right on the the cutting edge of of reviewing zombie movies. And if you're a zombie, or you want to be a zombie, or you're thinking about being a zombie, or your mom's a zombie, your dad's a zombie, your damn mother-in-law's a zombie, tune into Mail Order Zombie, baby. You'll find out what's going on. Ken Forey, and that's out. Are you serious? Podcast best of Linoleum knife. 35 millimeter hero. Chinstroker versus Pencer. Family movie night. Bloody good horror. Girls on film radio. Night of the Living Podcast. Mail order zombie. Outside the cinema. Popcorn mafia. Perhaps you'd be interested in Gleecast. First time caller podcast. Showshow.podomatic.com. The David Pakman Show. gentle listeners. I'm Fozzie Bear. There are a lot of podcasts out there, and it's impossible to listen to them all. That's where the Podcast Podcast comes in. On the Podcast Podcast, we have very special guests from some of the best shows on iTunes, covering everything from movies to television to literature to pop culture and politics. On the Podcast Podcast, you can listen to these guests and decide if you should check out their show or keep on moving. Find us in the iTunes store by searching for me, Fozzie Bear. That's F-O-Z-Z-I-E-B-A-R-E. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions, and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s drive-in porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn-off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off. Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think the Cicerese is a guy and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. So I tried to talk through the mute button. That apparently does not work. So we're back, obviously, because you can hear me. So I don't really even need to say that. So we, um, we, I, uh, we, me, I have um, found some other stuff here where it looks like the Occupy Wall Street stuff is actually kind of starting to have an effect on some people. So 
Let me see uh, what I can find here in my notes. I don't have anything here. I'm going to start with this one. Um, and it's a, it's a, a, a pill pop and junkie that we all know and loathe. Uh, Rush Limbaugh refers to people who aren't white working families as losers in life. Now I know we can we can ascribe anything to uh to to rush anything outrageous but we have audio of it. Let me read the intro here. Rush Limbaugh is known for his inflammatory rhetoric and race baiting. He's referred to President Obama many times as Barack the Magic Negro, which I can find that audio but y'all can remember it. And even went as far as to call the president and first lady uppity. Limbaugh went into a tirade today. Uh, when was this? Was this today or yesterday? Oh, this was November 30th. Uh, stating that Obama is abandoning the votes of working white families in favor of the losers in life. After rambling on for almost two minutes about it, he then backpedaled and said his comments were in no way racist. So, if I was to comment on a picture I posted the other day where some douchebag took one Star Wars figure of Mace Windu and put Lando Calrissian in there, and I said, well, it doesn't matter, you know, because whatever, they all look alike, then, oh, wait, no, I'm not racist, I'm being funny. Fucking douchebag. All right, let's see what this fat asshole has to say. We actually have a president of the United States. Folks, this is, this is, I made a big point of this Monday. I made a big point of it last night. I haven't listened to this yet, by the way. We have a president of the United States who announced, essentially announced on the op-ed pages of the New York Times on Monday, that his re-election effort will not include working white families. They are jettisoned. They are not a factor. The Obama campaign says we're not going to even try to get their votes. I don't understand Who are we going to go for? We're going to go for the losers in life. We're going to go for the people who don't think they should work. We're going to go for the people that we have conditioned to hate this country because they've failed. The other people have succeeded and they've stolen from them. And it's time that the other people give it back. We're going to go for those, and then we're going to get the elites in academia and the artists and the songwriters and the actors and the actresses and all this, and that's going to be our coalition. But huh? working white families, sorry, uh, we're not interested in their votes. I doubt that's well, what, what does that tell printed? you? Forget, it's not racial, folks. I'm only throwing working white families in there because that was in the op-ed in the New York Times by Thomas Edsel. This is not a racial thing. Hey, bullshit. It sounds like it. The working white families are the old Reagan Democrats of the 80s. What? But the bottom line is they are working. Now, oh, I have no idea what he was even talking about there. I didn't read the op-ed piece, but I guarantee you he's um, misinterpreting that. Oh my god. All right, let's let's just pull one at random here. Um here's a guy who has an awesome first name but is a complete and total douche. Grover Norquist. He doesn't look anything at all like the dude on Sesame Street. Norquist tells GOP that raising taxes on the middle class doesn't count as a tax increase. I'm going to uh, Norquist tells GOP 
that raising taxes on the middle class doesn't count as a tax increase. I don't. I've read that in my head four, four times, and I've read it out loud twice, and it still doesn't make sense to me. Anti-tax zealot Grover Norquist, the president of Americans for Tax Reform and author of the Radical Anti-Tax Pledge that has played a significant role in hamstringing budget and deficit reduction negotiations, has says that it is unacceptable for those who have signed his pledge to vote in favor of any tax increase. Why don't they listen to this guy? I know he was kind of a big deal, but... But now that President Obama and congressional Democrats are backing a tax cut aimed at stimulating economic growth, Norquist has changed his tune. Norquist met with Republican members today to let them know that opposing the extension of the payroll tax cut, which would provide many families an extra $1,000 a year, would not amount to supporting a tax increase. Uh, National Journal's Billy House reported today. Uh, And then there's a a shot of of his tweet. Norquist advises a room of House Republicans Thursday that a failure to extend the payroll tax cut should not be viewed as raising taxes. That stands in contrast, however, to Norquist's position on tax cuts for the wealthy. Norquist has repeatedly warned GOP members about voting in favor of repealing the Bush tax cuts for the rich or tax hikes on millionaires, even verbally sparring with a member of of a group of millionaires advocating for higher taxes on themselves last month in Washington, D.C. And yet, when it comes to tax cuts for the middle class meant to drive economic recovery, Norquist clearly takes a different stance. Republicans who have defended these tax breaks for the wealthy aren't so sure about holding the Norquist position, though. House Majority Leader Eric Cantor warned his rank and file this morning about opposing the extension telling them that taxes are a Republican issue and you aren't a Republican if you want to raise taxes on struggling families to fund bigger government. Multiple Republican senators, meanwhile, have come out in favor of the extension, and Senator Sue Collins from Maine even proposed raising taxes on some wealthy Americans to pay for it. It seems like possibly the Republican Party is starting to splinter even more. Oh, wow. Um... I, sorry, I get distracted by headlines. This one is crazy. Gingrich doubles down on child labor. Poor kids should, quote, clean the bathroom. (laughs) Conceding ever so slightly to flack he's taken for calling child labor laws stupid and suggesting that schools fire janitors and replace them with poor kids. Holy shit. What the fuck is going on in this country? GOP presidential hopeful Newt Gingrich set more specific to got more specific today. Sorry, I can't read. I'm just I'm just totally taken aback by this whole thing. Saying working class students should be limited to jobs like cleaning bathrooms. Bowing to concerns that janitorial work is dangerous, Gingrich floated like a turd. What if they became assistant janitors and their jobs were to mop floors and clean the bathroom? There's a video. And so I come around to this question. A very poor neighborhood. You have kids who are required under law to go to school. They have no money. They have no habit of work. What if you paid them part-time in the afternoon to sit at the clerical office and greet people when they came in? What if you paid them to work as the assistant librarian? What if you, and, and, and I pay them as early as is reasonable and practical. Okay? 
What if you, what, and, and this, then we get into the janitor thing, and I get, these, these letters are written that say, janitorial work is really hard and really dangerous, and it's this and that. I go, fine. So what if they became assistant janitors, and their job was to mop the floor and clean the bathroom? And you paid them. And all of a sudden in their neighborhood, I did this. I, I earned money. We, we invented a program called Earning by Learning when I was in, in Congress, and I'd go out and make speeches and earn money. And we paid kids in the summertime in public housing in Georgia $2 a book for every book they read. And in Douglas County, Georgia, the public housing project, instead. we started with nine kids who, by the way, assumed we'd cheat them. We had to pay them every, every week because they assumed we'd lie to them. You were Republican. said, you're not going to really pay me. So we paid them. By the end of the summer, we had over 30 students in that program because what happened was simple. The ice cream truck comes by. The kid who's in the program walks up and buys their own ice cream. Their friend says to him, how come you have money? They go, well, I read, you know. <laughs> and so kids were showing up saying, I demand that you let me read. You can't keep me from this program. So I was saying, and one of my great passions, and I'll close this, but I want you all to understand how, how deeply and personally I mean this. If we are all endowed by our creator with the right to pursue happiness, uh. that has to apply to the poorest American in the poorest neighborhood in this country. Yeah, I am prepared to find something that works, that breaks us out of the cycles we're involved in right now, and finding a way for poor children to learn how to work and to learn to how to have money that they earn honestly is an integral part of that. And how we get it to work out is a lot of details. But the general principle, I believe, is exactly the right direction for America's future. When I was growing up, I wanted to work. I had a paper route. I was a caddy in a golf course. Shitty caddy because I had no strength, but <laughs> I did it anyway. Um, I was told that my job was going to school. <clears throat> my job was to learn. And to do the best that I possibly can and and could. Now, I don't know what age he's talking about. Um, if if we're talking uh, fourteen and up, that's um, that's different. Um, but let's look at some of the comments here because the first one caught my attention here. Um, I'm sure that being labeled by their peers as the bathroom cleaner wouldn't have any social impact or lasting emotional trauma on a kid during an already confusing time in their life. Not to mention be and here's the next uh, next reply. Not to mention being exposed as the poor kid at school. Newt's an absolute disgrace to this nation. Even Mitt Romney isn't this out of touch. Newt wants slumdog Americans, and if he's elected, that's what he'll get. Uh, yeah. So. This is going to be very interesting. The closer we get to the election the the more the the much more interesting this is going to get it's fascinating to me just how uh, just just how crazy it's getting the ideas they're coming out with have to be more extreme than the than the next i don't even know if they're doing it on purpose all right i have two more here before we do the break um Angry over unfair mortgage practices. Churches pull money from Wall Street banks. Good. 
that's that's a smart thing to do because if you lose your money, you're going to lose your church. Even though their profits are rising, Wall Street banks have begun getting bad news from the 99% movement. This is from November 23rd. Um, oh, we obviously didn't do this last week because of the holiday special commentary we did, which still haunts my dreams. From, uh, let's see, more than 40,000 people moved their money from banks to credit unions on Bank Transfer Day earlier this month, bringing total new credit union enrollment up to more than 650,000 since the beginning of October. For the 10 largest banks, that could mean about $185 billion in lost deposits next year alone. By the way, Frank um, goes with a credit union. The bank that I use, I've, I've looked at charts and how um, banks have been bought up by other banks. And uh, the bank that I use isn't on the charts either. So that's why we never talked about <laughs> um, bank transfer day because we didn't have to do it. Um, let's see. Now a new coalition of groups is planning to move even more money off of Wall Street. Angered by predatory and often discriminatory mortgage lending practices that can continue to come to light, an interfaith coalition of churches and religious organizations is pledging to move as much as $1 billion away from the nation's largest banks, the Washington Post reports. The new bottom line, the MBL, Coalition of Congregations, Community Organizations, Labor Unions, and Individuals is promoting a Move Our Money campaign with the goal of shifting $1 billion from big banks to community banks and credit unions. In a way, the banks have divested from our communities, especially communities of color, said the Reverend Ryan Bell, a Seventh-day Adventist pastor in Los Angeles. So we're basically telling Bank of America that we want them to invest in our communities, and until they do... We're not going to give our money to them. The Move Our Money campaign is the latest sign of religious organizations joining the 99% movement struggle. As of Monday, churches had already moved more than $55 million from Wall Street banks, and about 100 leaders from Christian, Jewish, and Muslim groups have pledged to move more than $100 million more in the coming days. The campaign, meanwhile, should draw more attention to predatory lending practices from Wall Street. Bank of America and other banks have come under fire for various types of mortgage fraud and abuse, including robo-signing foreclosure documents and repossessing homes that either weren't in foreclosure or that the banks didn't own. As Bell told The Post, recent reports have also shed light on the discriminatory nature of those mortgage practices as blacks and Latinos were twice as likely to have been affected by housing crisis as white borrowers. I can't wait for the seven or eight years until our mortgage is paid off and then we don't give Chase any more money. And first opportunity I get, <laughs> we're going to start making double payments on the mortgage just to get it get it done. And here's the last one that docu- that, that, that uh, ties into the Occupy Wall Street stuff. So I'm trying to keep a, a through line of, you know, keep the stories connected. We don't always do that, but I'm trying to this week. The Republican, oh, this is a top GOP strategist, admits he's scared of Occupy Wall Street because it's having an impact. And this has been all over the net. Um, the last few days, actually, what's today? The f- December 2nd? Yeah. Uh, since yesterday has been all over the net. The Republican Governors Association met in Florida this week and featured pollster Frank Luntz, not to be confused with Frank Lutz from, uh, or, uh, uh Lutz from, from 30 Rock. Um, Frank's a different character who offered a coaching session for attendees about how they should communicate to the public. Yahoo News' Chris Moody was there and captured some of Lutz's, Lutz's comments on Occupy Wall Street. 
Luntz told attendees he's scared of this anti-Wall Street effort. I'm frightened to death. Poster warned, uh, the poster warned that the movement is having an impact on what the American people think of capitalism. So the poster offered some advice for them about how to fight back. Here's a few snippets of what he said according to Moody. And this is fascinating how they can just just change the words and it changes perception. Uh, don't mention capitalism. Luntz said that his polling research found that the public still prefers capitalism to socialism, but they think capitalism is immoral. And if we're seen as defenders of, quote, Wall Street, we've got a problem. I wonder how much longer it'll be until socialism is actually kind of acceptable. Uh, Empathize with the 99% protesters. Luntz instructed attendees to tell protesters that they get it. First off, here are three words for you all. I get it. I get that you're. I get that you've seen inequality. I get that you want to fix the system. Unbelievable. Don't say bonus. Luntz told Republicans to reframe the concept of the bonus payment, which bailed out Wall Street doles out to its employees during holidays as pay for performance instead. Now, let's be honest. Your weekly paycheck is pay for performance. You get paid to do your job. Any extra money is a bonus because it's in addition to. Anyway, uh, don't mention the middle class because Americans don't trust Republicans to defend it. I find that absolutely fascinating that he would say that out loud. And he goes on to say they cannot win if the fight is on hardworking taxpayers, Luntz instructed the audience, we can say we defended the middle class and the public will say, I'm not sure about that, but defending hardworking taxpayers and then the Republicans would have the advantage. Don't talk about, don't talk about taxing the rich. Luntz reminded Republicans that Americans actually do want to tax the rich. So he recommended they instead say that the government takes from the rich. So a majority of Americans want the, the, the rich people of the country taxed at a higher rate than they are right now, which I believe is lower than what you and I are getting taxed, unless you know, you're a millionaire listening to this. And that they're not going to do it, <laughs> even though that's what everybody wants done. So much for, you know, by the people... For the people. And it goes on to say, Frank Luntz is no minor pollster. He's considered to be one of the top political communication experts in the world. Having provided consulting to many of the world's top corporations, politicians, and special interest groups. That Luntz is admitting the impact of Occupy Wall Street in the 99% and telling closed-door meetings of Republicans that it frightens him is a huge victory for the movement. So the first, the first quote down the bottom here is, um, in other words, don't actually do anything about the problem of income inequality and the, the average Americans are waking up to the fact that they're being screwed over for the past 30 years. Just change the brand of lube you use. <laughs> ah, that's good. I like that. All right, I'm going to pause here, take a break, get some more notes together, and be right back.
famous Hollywood producer, Robert Evans. You know, I've made a lot of powerful enemies during my time in Hollywood. Like the time I pushed Steve McQueen in front of a moving car on the set of The Getaway because he was macking on my lady, Allie McGraw. But I've made one great friend, a boffo friend if you will, since I retired. It's called Show Show, and it's the best fucking movie podcast ever. It's even better than cocaine, which I would know a lot about. Visit Show Show at showshow.podomatic.com or search Show Show, all one word, in the iTunes store. Alright, I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. Alright, Reverend Scott, take us to church. Uh, what can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. <laughs> uh, is there anyone's coattails you wrote in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. Yeah. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a, a, a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one That is one star too many. <laughs> Let me tell you. The worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, God. Ugh. That was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. What can you expect when you download and listen to an episode of the Inside Outcast? Pretty much anything. Okay, what I think when I first hear of Pitchfork is the painting American Gothic by Grant Wood. So yeah, truthiness. It has the appearance of being true without any fact behind it, <laughs> you know? You know, there are some techniques we might be able to use to help you feng shui-wise. Well, to... I'm, I'll am i try anything. Yes. A mountain made out of mashed potatoes. In Jeet Kune Do, Bruce removed all the traditional posturing from his Wing Chun and incorporated the freestyle boxing that he knew and throws from Jujutsu, kicks from Taekwondo, and concepts from Tai Chi Chuan. It becomes even more evident in Aliens when they first find the last survivor and her chest burster comes out right then. Mm -hmm. And when they torch it and it falls over, it's just like a penis deflating. (laughs) (laughs) The Inside Outcast is a couple of goths discussing everything under the moon. We cover so many different topics that iTunes has no idea how to categorize us. Find us on iTunes or through geekplanetonline.com. Like us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Inside Outcast, the Inside Outcast, where geek meets gone.
right, so next. Uh, this has been on fire online, um, but I want to play it just because it is he, he is such a good speaker that um, anybody that hasn't seen it yet should hear it. It's not You don't really need the, the video to go along with it, but um, let me just play this. Uh, good evening, Mr. Chairman. My name is Zach Walls. I'm a sixth-generation Iowan and an engineering student at the University of Iowa, and I was raised by two women. Uh, my biological mom, Terry, told her grandparents that she was pregnant, that the artificial insemination had worked, and they wouldn't even acknowledge it. It actually wasn't until I was born and they succumbed to my infantile cuteness that they broke down and told her that they were thrilled to have another grandson. Unfortunately, neither of them lived to see her marry her partner, Jackie, of 15 years when they wed in 2009. My younger sister and only sibling was born in 1994. We actually have the same anonymous donor, so we're full siblings, which is really cool for me. Um, you know, and I guess the point is that our family really isn't so different from any other Iowa family. You know, when I'm home, we go to church together, we eat dinner, we go on vacations. Uh, but, you know, we have our hard times too, we get in fights. Um, you know, actually my mom, Terry, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2000. It is a devastating disease that put her in a wheelchair, so we've had our struggles. But, you know, we're Iowans. We don't expect anyone to solve our problems for us. We'll fight our own battles. We just hope for equal and fair treatment from our government. Being a student at the University of Iowa, the topic of same-sex marriage comes up quite frequently in classroom discussions. You know, and the question always comes down to, well, can gays even raise kids? And the question, you know, the conversation gets quiet for a moment, because most people don't really have an answer. And then I raise my hand and say, actually, I was raised by a gay couple, and I'm doing pretty well. I scored in the 99th percentile on the ACT. I'm actually an Eagle Scout. I own and operate my own small business. If I was your son, Mr. Chairman, I believe I'd make you very proud. I'm not really so different from any of your children. My family really isn't so different from yours. After all, your family doesn't derive its sense of worth from being told by the state, you're married, congratulations. No. The sense of family comes from the commitment we make to each other. To work through the hard times so we can enjoy the good ones. It comes from the love that binds us. That's what makes a family. So what you're voting here isn't to change us. It's not to change our families. It's to change how the law views us, how the law treats us. You are voting for the first time in the history of our state to codify discrimination into our Constitution. A Constitution that but for the proposed amendment is the least amended constitution in the United States of America. You are telling Iowans that some among you are second-class citizens who do not have the right to marry the person you love. So will this vote affect my family? Would it affect yours? Over the next two hours, I'm sure we're going to hear plenty of testimony about how damaging having gay parents is on kids. But in my 19 years, not once have I ever been confronted by an individual who realized independently that I was raised by a gay couple. And you know why? Because the sexual orientation of my parents has had zero effect on the content of my character. Thank you very much. There's nothing I can add to that. That was amazingly well said. So let's move on from there. I just wanted everybody to hear that. Um, Vishnu has posted something on the top of the page that's uh, getting some uh, some comments here, and it's disgusting. <laughs> um, atheists and rapists top the list of people religious believers distrust the most. Religious believers 
distrust atheists more than they do members of other religious groups, gays or feminists, according to a new study by University of BC researchers. Okay, fine. I can I can live with that. The only group the study's participants distrusted as much, not more, as much as atheists was rapists, said doctor, doctoral student Will Gervais, lead author of the study published online in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. That prejudice, prejudice, wow, I can't speak, had a significant effect on what kind of jobs people said they would hire atheists to do. People are willing to hire an atheist for a job that is perceived as low trust, for instance, as a waitress, said Gervais. It's not Ricky Gervais, it's, it's Will, just to, you know, so there's no confusion later on. But when hiring for high trust jobs like daycare worker, they were like, nope, not going to hire an atheist for that job. The antipathy does not seem to run both ways, though. Atheists are indifferent to religious belief when it comes to deciding who is trustworthy. Well, for me personally, it's it's a case-by-case basis. Um, atheists don't necessarily favor other atheists over Christians or anyone else, he said. They seem to think that religion is not an important signal for who you can trust. The researchers found that religious believers thought that descriptions of untrustworthy people, people who steal or cheat, were more likely to be atheists than Christians, Muslims, Jews, gays, or feminists. Gervais was surprised that people harbor such strong feelings about a group that is hard to see or identify. I would say almost impossible to identify just by looking at a person, unless they're wearing a Richard Dawkins shirt. He opines that religious believers are just more comfortable with other people who believe a believe a deity with the power to reward and punish is watching them. If you believe your behavior is being watched by God, you are going to be on your best behavior, said Gervais. But that wouldn't apply for an atheist. That would allow people to use religious belief as a signal for how trustworthy a person is. Religious belief is known to have a variety of social functions. Past research has found that common religious beliefs can promote cooperation within groups. Gervais stated his line of inquiry about the exclusion of atheists after seeing a Gallup poll that suggested the majority of Americans would not vote for an atheist presidential candidate. Gervais and his colleagues conducted a series of six studies on a group of 350 American adults and a group of 420 UBC students. But even in more secular Canada, distrust of atheists ran high. We see consistently, we see consistently strong effects, he said. Even here in Vancouver... Our student participants still say atheists are really untrustworthy. That's fascinating. Uh, so some of the co- some of the comments we have here um, underneath are, uh, of course, they hate the anti-theists of their myths. They love cavemen, though. Weird but true. Never trust those shifty-eyed atheists, especially Canadian ones. And then all of this is tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Aussie atheists are the strangest. They come from a land where the animals have built-in pouches. Imagine the myths those creatures would inspire. Uh, Followed by, I thought they came from a land down under. (laughs) Okay. Um, Randy, I'm sure wouldn't mind being called out by name here, says, to a weak believer, an atheist is an ideological rapist. I like that. And Hassan says, it would be interesting to see how the question was actually phrased. People can't be that stupid. Oh, I think you have too high an opinion of people. 
Uh, let's see, the church in Kentucky that bans interracial marriage. Anthony put this one up here. Um, let's see. Hamid Karzai, Afghanistan president, pardons imprisoned rape victim. Now that sounds okay, right? The problem comes in with the conditions of her release. So let's see what we have here. In Kabul, Afghanistan, Afghan President Hamid Karzai on Thursday pardoned an Afghan woman serving a 12-year prison sentence for having sex out of wedlock after she was raped by a relative. Karzai's office said in a statement that the woman and her attacker have agreed to marry. That would reverse an earlier decision by the 19-year-old woman who had previously refused a judge's order of freedom if she agreed to marry the rapist. Her plight was highlighted in a documentary that the European Union blocked because it feared the woman featured in the film would be in danger if it were shown. Sadly, that's kind of real. That's a, that's, that's a good reason. More than 5,000 people recently signed a petition urging Karzai to release the woman. She had the man's child while in prison and raised her daughter behind bars, which is common among women imprisoned in Afghanistan. So basically, Afghanistan is just a gigantic factory for creating backbreaking Batman villains, apparently. A statement released by Karzai's office says that after hearing from judicial officials, the decision was made to forgive the rest of the sentence she received for having sex out of wedlock, a crime in Afghanistan. The president's presidential statement did not say whether the woman was to be released or how much prison time had been pardoned. The woman told the Associated Press in an interview last month that she had hoped that attention generated by the EU, the EU film, might help her get released. With the film blocked, she said that she was losing hope and considering marrying her rapist as a way out. She said her attacker was pressuring her to stop giving interviews. About half of the 300 to 400 women jailed in Afghanistan are imprisoned for so-called moral crimes. That's in quotes, moral crimes, such as sex outside marriage or running away from their husbands, according to reports by the United Nations and research organizations. Fleeing husbands isn't considered a crime in Afghanistan. The EU welcomed the woman's release. Her case has served to highlight the plight of Afghan women who, 10 years after the overthrow of the Taliban regime, often continue to suffer in unimaginable conditions, deprived of even the most basic human rights, the European Union's ambassador and special representative to Afghanistan said. Um, he said the EU hoped that the same mercy would be extended to other women serving similar terms. He also said that, that he planned to raise the issue of Afghan women's rights at an international conference in Afghanistan December 5th uh, in Bonn, Germany. Some of the most severe restrictions women faced under the Taliban, like a ban on attending schools and having to have a male escort to venture outside the home, were done away with when the radical Islamic movement was driven from power in 2001. But Afghanistan remains a deeply conservative and male-dominated society, meaning women are still sold to husbands and rights enshrined in law are often ignored in practice. Unbelievable. Um, it's the fucking dark ages over there. That's that's really all I have. Oh, you were raped? You're going to go in jail, into jail and you're going to stay there. But, you know, to preserve whatever semblance we have of morality, you need to, you have to marry the person that violated you, basically. Uh, I don't know. It's fucking disgusting 
That's why religion is an idiotic thing. Even Islam. Yeah, I said it. Barney Frank is retiring, which is which is sad, but he's getting he's getting up there. Um here's another one that Anthony posted that's just he he's good at finding the stuff that just infuriates me. Uh US Senate votes to keep provision allowing military to lock up Americans without trial or being charged. On Tuesday, the United States Senate, by a vote of 60 to 38, voted down the Udall Amendment, which would have deleted a controversial provision in the National Defense Authorization Act that allows the military to arrest and lock up Americans indefinitely without charge or trial. So basically, fuck you, habeas corpus. Fifteen Democrats joined all but two Republicans to kill the amendment. Rand Paul and Mark Kirk were the Republicans who voted for the Udall Amendment along with most of the Democrats. Bob Casey, Ken Conrad, there's a whole bunch of names listed here. I'll try to get a link up to this if you're interested to read. But there's a link on the Facebook page, though. Um, they They all voted to kill the amendment. The White House continues to stand by its veto threat. Sorry, I didn't read the whole sentence. But it is clear that Republicans want to unleash the military upon the American people. That might be a little hyperbolic, but point taken. GOP Senator Lindsey Graham voted for the bill because he doesn't think American citizens deserve Miranda rights. (laughs) The enemy is all over the world, here at home, and when people take up arms against the United States and are captured within the United States, why should we not be able to use our military and intelligence community to question that person as to who they know, as to what they know and who they are, enemy activity, they should not be read their Miranda rights. Oh, so that's actually in a quote. So that's not that wasn't hyperbolic. They should not be given a lawyer. They should be held humanely in military custody and interrogated about why they joined Al Qaeda and what they were going to do to all of us. Oh my God! I think that Osama bin Laden has succeeded far beyond his expectations. He is. His his attack on September 11th has turned our country into paranoid warmongers. Okay, back to this. There is still time to call your senator to tell them to vote against the bill. This is perhaps the most threatening bill that Americans have seen in a very long time. Under this bill, any law-abiding American citizen can be swooped down upon by the military and arrested in the dead of night. In the dead of night. Need to enunciate that word a little more clearly. You won't be read your rights. You won't get an attorney. You won't get a trial. And you could spend a very long time in prison just for being suspected of being a terrorist. The only way to be released would be to obtain a waiver from the Secretary of Defense, which would not be easy. This bill is a threat to our freedom, our rights, and our very lives. How about the moral fabric of the United States as well and the Constitution? Uh, The Constitution and the future of America are at stake and the stakes are too high to ignore. It kind of sounds like that could be hyperbolic, but I'm going to say it's not. Definitely, uh, what the fuck? So the, the, the GOP wants to turn us into a police state? Is that where we're going? They can already track us through our smartphones. So, oh, Anthony, you got another one. All right, let's... uh. Let's read this, and then we're going to take a break because I think this is the end. This is our what-the-fuck story of the week. I just made that up. 
Uh, six-year-old Wisconsin boy being prosecuted for playing doctor with a five-year-old girl. Parents of a five-year-old girl in Grant County, Wisconsin, are pressing charges for first-degree sexual assault against a then-six-year-old, now seven-year-old boy. The accusation, playing doctor with their daughter. Although too young to be prosecuted, the boy could be listed on the permanent sex offender registry when he turns 18. <coughs> what the fuck? The boy's parents are suing Grant County District Attorney Lisa Renicker, a social worker and former sheriff's office investigator. The plaintiffs who are listed on the complaint as Jennifer and Curtis B. tried to get Renicker to stop the charges. She replied, the legislature could have put an age restriction in the statute if it wanted to. The legislature did no such thing. They're asking $12 million in damages. <sighs> Among the suit's claims is that the boy was selectively accused of a felony for playing doctor with the daughter of a Grant County political figure. Oh, here we go. It also alleges that the investigations by Cop and Morvardis were haphazard and biased in favor of the girl's father because of his political status, and that Rinnaker did not act reasonably in charging a six-year-old with first-degree sexual assault. I think his life has been ruined, and I think it's been ruined by reckless conduct by the defendants without any regard for the little boy and his future, said Chicago attorney Christopher Cooper, who was representing the boy and his parents in the lawsuit. The boy, who is now seven and has a developmental disability, has been diagnosed with stress disorders that medical professionals attribute to the defendant's actions, according to the suit. Uh, he has experienced fear and going to jail, oh, experienced fear of going to jail, as well as anxiety, depression, sleepless nights, vomiting, crying, and missed school time. The petition for protection of services states that the girl's mother found her daughter with her skirt and underpants around her ankles, and the boy allegedly penetrating her. The girl said they were playing butt doctor and said the boy only touched the outside of her body. The girl is listed in the complaint as the daughter of a well-known political figure in Grant County. Her brother was allegedly involved in the doctor game as well. He is not being charged. The social worker, Jan Morvardis, is the girl's aunt. The boy's family has now been placed under a gag order. His attorney, however, did speak to WISC-TV. That behavior by a prosecutor is outrageous, said Christopher Cooper, an attorney for the boy's parents. She, Rinnaker, bypassed the parents and sent a six-year-old boy a summons, on which is a threat that the six-year-old will go to jail for failure to appear, Cooper said. The attorneys said they have sought the opinion of many experts who have said that the children playing doctor is not a sex crime. The experts say a six-year-old child is unable to intellectually and emotionally associate sexual gratification with the act that D has been accused of committing, Cooper said. Repeated calls to Rinnaker, an attorney for her and her co-defendants, have gone unanswered since Friday. <sighs> Unbelievable. I don't, I don't, I, I just, I don't understand. I mean, little kids... Um, I know that my girls, they're, they're almost four and they are very curious and uh, about their own bodies. So if you see somebody else, uh, you're going to want to know the differences. Anyway, this is fucking ridiculous. It sounds more, um, 
like petty revenge. Like somebody finally found a way to get back at an opponent for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. But let's do let's do this one more here. Get that get that horrible story out of my mind. Uh, Kansas governor says staff overreacted to teens' tweet. Topeka, Kansas. When a high school senior tweeted that Kansas Governor Sam Brownback sucked, among other invectives, reaction at the state capitol led her principal to demand an apology. Instead, it was the Republican governor offering a mea couple Monday forced to admit to a self-described overreaction by his staff that subjected him to ridicule for efforts to police a teenager's internet musings. Emma Sullivan's tweet from the back of a crowd listening to Brownback speak last week and her subsequent refusal to write an apology letter spurred several thousand supporters to rush to her online defense, boosting her Twitter following from 61 friends to more than 12,000 people in less than a week. The 18-year-old from the Kansas City suburb of Fairway was taking part in a youth in government program in Topeka when she tweeted from her cell phone, just made just made mean combats... Uh, com- <laughs> just made mean comments at Governor Brownback and told him he sucked in person. Um, and then a hashtag, he <laughs> he blows a lot. <laughs> she said she was just joking with her friends, but Brownback's office, which monitors social media for postings containing the governor's name, contacted the youth program. Sullivan said she was called to the principal's office for the first time ever and told to apologize in writing to the governor. My staff overreacted to this tweet, and for that I apologize, Brownback said in a statement Monday. Freedom of speech is among our most treasured freedoms. That's the smartest thing this guy could have ever done. The reaction exemplifies what Bradley Shear, a Washington, D.C. area social media attorney, called an example of the nationwide chasm between government officials and rapidly evolving technology. This reflects poorly on the governor's office, Shear said. It demonstrated that their PR department and whoever is dealing with these issues needs to get a better understanding of social media in the social media age. I mean, she had less than 100 followers. Who's, who's she really going to influence? The biggest problem is government disconnect and the lack of understanding of how people use the technology. Brownback's office declined to discuss its social media monitoring in detail, but politicians and governmental officials across the country are increasingly keeping an eye on the Internet for mentions of their campaigns or policies, not unlike the way newspapers and television broadcasts have been watching for decades. Many officials even maintain their own Facebook and Twitter accounts to inform constituents of events or policy announcements. (coughs) It it goes on and goes on. Um, Let's see. As Sullivan's tweet and her school's call for apology letter gained traction online, Shawnee Mission East Principal Carl Krowitz emailed Burgett to say that the teen was never was threatened with punishment if she refused to write the letter. Krowitz, who said he had received disgusting hate mail over the incident, acknowledged he wasn't a Brownback supporter but was troubled that a student had been disrespectful while on a school trip. I'm not a big fan of the governor, but I respect the person in the office, he wrote in an email Saturday, adding that he thought the incident will probably get ugly. The Shawnee Mission School District said Monday it was no no longer seeking a letter from Sullivan. Whether and to whom any apologies are issued will be left to the individuals involved, the statement said. The issue has resulted in many teachable moments concerning the use of social media. The district does not intend to take any further action on this matter. Saying that the governor is no good and is a blowhard... That's a nice way of putting it. Is core protected speech. It's absolutely what the First Amendment was designed to protect. (sighs) Unbelievable. Good for her for not retracting and not stepping down. 
and just you know keeping it keeping it keeping her 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 feet firmly planted all right time for a break someday mother will die and i'll get the Tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant blissful state of agreement. I mean, the main the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, no just just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, almost, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. Choosing a family movie is tough. It seems like all Hollywood can do is make mindless drivel that rots kids' brains. Who wants to see a movie like what my dad watched when he was a kid? Those films are so boring and the special effects are horrible. The movies he grew up with are sometimes a big surprise. I at times feel uncomfortable watching movies I loved when I was younger with my own kids because I forgot how much cursing, sex, and violence they showed back then. All we want to do is watch a fun movie that we all like. That's why we created Family Movie Night, a podcast where we review movies from an adult perspective. And from a kid's perspective. So you can find movies for your whole family to enjoy. We review new movies. Old childhood favorites. Cult and foreign films. And Godzilla. So check out Family Movie Night on the web at fmnpodcast.com or find us on iTunes. Bye! GGTMC live for you, fresh air. Big Willie and the Samurai are at your service, breaking films down and turning them around, giving recommendations that are always on point. Visit GGTMC.com for more information. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Bringing class to the trash since 1977.
That's that. Um, Frank's not here this week, obviously, because you haven't heard him for over an hour. <laughs> and um, So I'm not going to talk about the Muppet movie or the Muppets because the Muppet movie is the one from the uh, late 70s. But I do want to play this and then uh, we'll get to the end of the show. So this is the um, this is the opening song for the the opening song for the movie for the film. Yeah, I, I uh, mean I like I like happy songs. Yeah, you know? um, I mean Jason Siegel yeah. and Walter sing it in the yeah. movie, but I thought we could just have a go. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll be Amy Adams. Okay, you, you go ahead. Okay, I'll do Jason's <clears throat> yeah. part. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Everything is great, but everything nice. is grand. I got the whole wide world in the palm of my one? hand. Oh, everything is perfect. It's falling into place. I can't seem to wipe this smile off my face. Well, life's a happy song when there's someone by my side to sing along. Nice. Okay. You take Rich. one. When you're alone, life can be a little rough. Yeah. Make you feel like you're three foot tall. Tell me about it. When it's just you, well, times can be tough. Well. When there's no one there to catch your fall. Yeah. Okay. And I'll take this part, okay? Okay. Back to the chorus, yeah. yeah. One, two, two, three, three four. four. Everything, Everything is great. Everything is grand. I got the whole wide world in the palm of my hand. Everything is perfect. It's falling into place. I can't seem to wipe this smile off my face. Oh, life's a happy song. Oh, the good life. Oh, life, oh, life oh, sounds we like need a rhyme there. That sounds like a rhyme. We need a rhyme there. Like Should we do a yeah. rhyme? Yeah. Okay, um, I'll, I'll do that. One, I'll two, three, four. Oh, life smells like a rose. With someone to paint and someone to pose. Oh, life's a, a piece of cake. cake. With someone to give and someone to take. Hey, life's a piece of pie. With someone to. Uh, oh, I, I, sorry, I stuffed oh, that up. Uh, life's oh, a piece oh. of pie. You with wrote someone the song. to. Yeah, I don't know the words that well. Life's a piece of pie. With someone to wash and someone to dry. Life's an easy road. With someone there to share the load. Oh, life is full of highs. With someone there. To stir and fry. Oh, life's a bunch of flowers. With someone to while away the hey, hours. Life's a leg of lamb. With someone there to lend a hand. Life's a fillet of fish. And yes, oh, it is. Life's, life's a happy song. Flies. When there's someone life's by your side to sing along. Life's a taco. Life's a pizza. Life's uh, a. That's, uh, and that's pretty much it. Uh, Let's do a big ending. One, two, three, four. Oh, life's, life's a happy, happy song. song. When there's, there's someone, someone by my side. You know, I, I love singing with was, you, Brett. It was close. We almost got but it. But I, I think I understand now why it was Walter and Jason. It was me. I think I screwed it up. <laughs> yeah. No, me, me too. Me too. Oh, well. So that was, uh, that was Brett from uh, Flight of the Concords, uh, Brett McKenzie, and Kermit singing the opening song, which has to be one of the happiest things I have ever heard in my life. Um, yeah, I got to go back and see that movie again. So I think the fair thing to do since Frank isn't here is to is to to leave some of the emails that we have. 
uh, because they're addressed to both of us. Um, plus, Frank reads them, and I don't really want to read them right now. I'm just kidding. Um, I have something from Reverend Scott, and I have something from Evil Dave that I want to play. So, um, unless I can think of any other stories that I wanted to cover, but I don't really think there are. Um, let me just skim through my page here because we did the crap about stupid bing bongs. Oh, Herman Kane. Someone came out, if you haven't turned on your TV at all or looked at the internet. Um, Herman Kane has a woman that came out, uh, Ginger White, very easy name to remember, um, came out and said that they've had a 13-year affair and there's phone records and 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 text messages and all kinds of stuff. So, Herman Cain, thanks for playing. Please go back and perfect your pizza because some people are saying it tastes like wet cardboard. So, anyway, without further ado, let's um let's play what what Evil Dave sent us. Hello, are you serious? It's Evil Dave. I'm sitting next to the Gothmas tree that I just put up a few <laughs> hours ago. It's looking all nice in winter solstice doing much to improve the otherwise lack of Christmas spirit. Anyhow, feedback. Now, part of the Inside Outcast podcast is promoting music from the dark alternative scene. That's anything from ethereal and gothic rock to industrial and synth pop. As such, I've had many opportunities to play various musical artists, and two in particular, I feel, have the Are You Serious flavor. The first is Isentilla. I believe they're based in the Twin Cities area. They're a post-industrial project, very much in the vein of Nine Inch Nails, guitar-driven, and with a strong female vocalist. I Scintilla are confirmed atheists, and in their latest album, Dying and Falling, several tracks are dedicated to the topic of atheism. The title track in particular is somewhat of an anthem for atheists as a response to those of the Christian or other religious persuasions that feel that atheists lack morality. Now, I studied some philosophy in college, and part of that was the French existential movement. And Sartre Camus stressed that the lack of an afterlife makes what you do in your life all the more important. Exactly. If life continues after death, then what we do in life is just one small part of our experience, especially if you consider the eternal life aspect. What's 80 years compared to eternity? It's but the blink of an eye. On the other hand, if there is nothing after death, then every moment of your life is all the more important because that's all you have. And death is like the punctuation at the end of a sentence. It defines who you are. It completes you. And some people die with an exclamation point, some with a question mark, and some with ellipses. Now, the second (laughs) artist I'd like to bring up is one I met through Twitter. It's For All the Emptiness. Now, at a casual glance at their track listing, you'll think that they're Christian. And with a casual listen, you might think so as well, as they adopt the Christian mythology to make their point. Yet they are not Christian. They, indeed, turn Christianity on its head in much a similar vein. 
But instead of looking at how atheists are moral, it looks at how much of religion is immoral. That many teachings in the Bible stress xenophobia, an inability to compromise, an insular lifestyle, and in general, an us versus them mentality. The Old Testament in particular frequently refers to destroying one's enemies. There are the plagues in Egypt. There's the often brought up Leviticus in which uh, it is deemed necessary to stone a gay man to death. Yep. And there are several references to killing witches. So Christians and religious people in general do not have a monopoly on morality. In fact, many moral philosophers look at the Christian attitude of doing good so you can get to heaven and avoiding evil so you don't go to hell is not really being a moral imperative. It's a selfish thing. You don't kill your grandmother because you don't want to go to prison. You don't kill your grandmother because it would be a bad thing to do. Right. Now, there's a strange, tenuous link between Isentella and for all the emptiness outside of their similar philosophies. And that is the Floridian dark wave band, the Cruise Shadows. Now, the Cruise Shadows is a pretty big band in the Gothic industrial scene. They're a staple at various Gothic conventions. They typically play at Dragon Con, as well as headlining the Gothic Cruise. The Cruise Shadows are a bit different than your typical Gothic industrial band in that they do have pretty Christian views. They're still a very good band, and I like them very much. Okay. But many of their songs are about fighting for what you believe in. They're very much based in faith. Several tracks refer to God and angels. Citadel and Winterborn in particular have this feeling of a holy war. Now, Isentilla was writing Dying and Falling while touring with the Crew Shadows, and <laughs> I can't help but think that Part of the reason why they stressed atheism so much in the album was it was a response to the more faith-based songs of the Crew Shadows. As I met For All the Emptiness through Twitter, I was tweeting with one of the members, and he brought up the fact that he was speaking with Rogue, who is the lead singer of the Crew Shadows, about his own music, that is, For All the Emptiness's music. Rogue did not quite understand the point, and there was a bit of an argument. So it's interesting to me that both bands have come into some contact with this more well-known group. So I think that's it for me. You can find Isentilla through Alpha Matrix Records, and For All the Emptiness is a less well-known band, and they're trying to get their foot in as the same goes. So they're offering their album for free through their website. You just have to Google For All the Emptiness, and I'm sure their webpage will come up, and you'll be able to find a way to download the album there. In the meantime, have a good holiday season, Chris and Frank. Should I not send you feedback again soon. Tra-la-la. <laughs> all right. Thank you. A lot, of, a lot of effort put into that with the music in the background, getting it all leveled and proper. And that's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And I'm going to have to check those bands out that, um, some of them sound kind of interesting. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate necessarily, uh, any kind of music that's that's based in religion, except maybe Striper. 
but <clears throat> you know, I I really like um like like supernatural possession movies or or stuff that's based in religion for like horror movies or comedies and stuff because um it's got such a such a good background that it it really makes for some good storytelling plus it's it's like in the in the the, the subconscious of society so everybody knows the story so it's a, it's a good starting ground so i'm going to have to check that out and um I really don't have much else except for um for this. Hey, stick around after the segment. I'll give you a free new ringtone. Oh yeah. Hello there, Chris. How are you? I'm all right. <laughs> that's that's a lie, but whatever. And who's that with you today? Is it Frank? Ellen? I'm not sure who's there today with you, Chris, but Nobody. if Frank isn't there, it's probably because he's been out playing No Limit Cocaine Poker. <laughs> I'm all in. Give me all the drugs. I find it odd that he's never been caught by the cops with any drugs on him, though. They're all in my body. <laughs> I took them all. <laughs> Very sneaky, Frank. You probably don't have to worry about getting caught with drugs either, do you, Chris? There are fewer drugs on your desk, so... Yeah, because they're all in my butt. You're pretty sneaky, what? too, then. <laughs> I don't know if messing around with drugs is a good idea at all, no matter how sneaky you are, though, considering the elections are drawing ever so much closer. With other potential candidates dropping left and right with various fuck-ups from the <laughs> lack of enough brain power to do a simple <laughs> speech to having sex with more women than Tiger Woods. Idiots. Fucking idiots. I agree. Here's a few tips for you guys. You know, just to help you out. If a pretty girl starts spending a lot of time with you suddenly, it's most likely a trap. Or in your guys' case, uh, it's a douche. Here's another tip. PETA, as retarded as they may be, has some political pull with voters. When you say, fuck you, yeah, I'm going to kill it, I'm going to eat it, I'm going to wear it. If I want to, I'm going to fuck it. Okay. <laughs> All right, because I got news for you. If it could wear, kill, eat me, it fucking would. It doesn't exactly get you on their good side. <laughs> a tip for you specifically, Chris, is when you're at a political debate and you get frustrated, don't punch your opponent in the face and call them names. You dopey fucking haircut and baggy-eyed uh, idiot so pro-magnum face was Mormon asking for it. I'm sure he was, but... That was uncalled for, Chris. Oh, come on. In addition to that, when you're in a debate, showing a little sympathy might be beneficial, Frank. Saying, we can cure AIDS, is a noble gesture. However, your explanation of how was not. If we could put a man on the moon, then we could have put a man with AIDS on the moon. And then we could put everybody with AIDS on the moon. I mean, technically that would work. That's not going to win you any voters. If you are not smart enough to realize that, then I have no use for you. <laughs> Trust me, you're going to need all the votes you can get. I think actually everything pales in comparison to Frank being asked what his opinion of having a black president for the first time ever. There's no way that I'm not going to make that racist, so <laughs> you need to not ask me that question. Fine. Let, let's just wrap this up, guys. I guess I can give you one more tip, but this one is a doozy. As much as you guys think that shocking people in your campaign commercials will draw attention, it's just not the type of attention you really want. First, there was the ad with a 13-inch dildo on a chair. I've been <laughs> sitting on this one for like two weeks here. <laughs> then the ad with the horse semen. I don't know if I can actually stomach all of this, but let's see. And last but not least, there's the ad with the... the... 
I don't even know what the fuck that is. That's I a can't that's see a, that's is a he, cock and balls. Right he, okay, so he is exposed. Yes. Ah, classy. <laughs> Anyways, just take my advice, all right? Peace and love, guys. Oh, by the way, here's your new ringtone. Was there a song? Get it off for Tanuki. Tanuki. Penis. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ah, uh, there were some amazing leaps in logic as as to what some of the questions were there. That was uh scary. I like that. So that's it. I'm done. I I can't do any more. I did an hour and a half by myself, which um I'm really amazed could happen. But that's you know what happens when I read stuff from the internet. So the uh, number for the show is 206-338-3094, I think. And um, you can write us at areyouseriouspodcast at gmail.com. And I promise we will get to everybody's written emails next week. I just wanted to make sure that Frank was a part of it. And um, that's about it. So, bye.
end of line.